0: Part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Cannata, joined by co-hosts, Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Cannata. I'm joined by Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts, the Miami Dolphins, and the NFL, The all of the NFL coming off the owners' meetings in Phoenix, Arizona this past week at the Biltmore, Arizona, or the Arizona Biltmore, however way you go. Lots of changes in terms of rules coming out. One big change being the offensive-defensive pass interference now being able to be reviewed, and also no calls of that being able to be reviewed. We're going to touch on that later in the show, of course. All the coaches talking, so that's where all the news is coming from. Lots lots of tidbits coming out from all across the league. General managers speaking, owners speaking. The Miami Dolphins' own Chris Greer, Brian Flores, and Stephen Ross all spoke to the media. All had a lot to say, so we're going to dive into that in just a few minutes. Also, some news coming out regarding the Arizona Cardinals and their intentions with the number one pick. It is starting to get, I wouldn't say more clear, but I will say there's a lot more smoke coming out around the uh, Cardinals drafting Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen being available. The smoke is around Josh Rosen being available, and we all know that smoke just, just does not come from anywhere. There is something happening there. There is something brewing, something ready to burst into flames, and we're going to try to get to the bottom of that and tell you everything that we've been reading, not hearing, because we don't have any inside information on that, but everything we've been reading that you may have missed or you may have seen as well. First, how Sutton and all of you. Let's jump into the owners' meetings. Chris Greer speaking first to the media after the general manager photo with all the other teams I think the biggest takeaway from that, boys, was that he said they have no problem drafting a quarterback in 2019 and 2020. He also mentioned Ryan Tannehill said it was time to move on, said he was inconsistent in Miami. Also, I think he may have thrown some shade, as Houts uh, alluded to on Twitter the other day, at the former regime when he said that he could have pushed a little harder For them to draft a quarterback to challenge Ryan Tannehill. Chris Greer also mentioning the fact that no, the Dolphins are not tanking. Didn't say rebuild. But said they're trying to do things the right way. And also said that they have a lot of picks in next year's draft in the 2020 draft. Right now I think they have 10 or 11 picks off the top of my head. And he said they don't need to be 1 and 15 or 2 and 13 or 3 and 10 not 3 and 10, 3 and 13 to get the franchise quarterback if they so choose in 2020 he said if they get 8 wins they get 8 wins they'll move up in the drafts with all the picks that they have how's i'm going to start with you on this one since you kind of were leading the charge on the whole greer throwing Tannenbaum and others under the bus what were your takeaways from chris greer's talk with the media the other day
2: I think the biggest thing, aside from what you said with the whole quarterback, was the fact that, you know, this is not a tank. These guys are not going out there, and they're not trying to throw games to get a high draft pick. They realize that they continue to get an arsenal of draft picks to use in 2020. They're probably going to do something in 2019 at the position. So uh, I think it's very interesting to see what Chris Greer is saying, all the right things. It's, It's going to be cool to see how this plays out because the Dolphins can draft a quarterback in round one, uh, this year, they could go and draft one again next year. It's not likely to happen, but Chris Greer is leaving everything out there, and it's we're going to see this thing play out sooner
1: than later. The common theme that we'll talk about tonight, and everybody addresses this in different ways and a little bit different semantically, but kind of outright squashing the idea of tanking, and I think that will be music to quite a few Dolphins fans' ears that bought that storyline to begin with. But what I will liken it to is like playing a game of pig with your kid, playing with your non-dominant hand. Yeah, I'm still going to try to beat my kid playing in a game of pig, but I've also kind of leveled the playing fields where it makes the game a little bit more fair. So in other words, we're going to play to win the game. All, every coach, every player and everything. We're just going to put some obstacles in our way. And so we're looking at starting Ryan Fitzpatrick at cornerback and not having much of a pass rush right now. So those are some of the obstacles I'm talking about. So uh, yes, there's absolutely no question that players and coaches always play to win the game, but there is a little bit of a handicap going in to the season. In my opinion, as the roster currently stands. Can we talk about this whole tanking narrative? Cause I hate it. I think it's the stupidest thing
0: that's out there. And I know the media um, has been drumming it up since the interviews because we found out from Stephen Ross when he talked to the media that he told coaches the way he was going to build the team, not the way they were going to build the team, which is kind of interesting because you want to bring in a coach because of their vision for the team and a general manager for their vision of the team. But I guess it makes sense because him and Chris Greer obviously share the same vision of how to build a proper team. And Ross basically said that he's going to build this team the way he's built his business, which I'm a huge proponent of. I've been banging the table for this for the past several years. Ross is so successful. All these owners were so successful as business people, as, you know, whatever they did before becoming an owner. And some of them can't get out of their own way in the NFL because all of a sudden they don't think they're qualified or, or give too much power And my whole thing is, Stephen Ross, you built your businesses being you. Do that with the Dolphins, and it feels like he finally is. And it feels like that he has been around long enough to understand how the NFL works and to understand what he doesn't know and what he does know. And I think he is on the right track with this. So when I think he told the coaches that, obviously the coaches told their agents and the agents told reporters, and then it spiraled down from there. Tanking is stupid. No one is tanking. No one in the history of sports will ever tank or has ever tanked. Except so, maybe the Philadelphia 76ers Six, yeah. with the process. No, I I, uh, know, I, I I understand that. No, because you're telling me then that every player on that team purposely lost every night.
1: No, not necessarily. I think there's way to circumvent that with coaching decisions and stuff like that. Okay, so we'll get we'll get or shelving players who are maybe have a a sprained ankle or something and shelve them for months. So let let me get to that. Stop talking. So sorry, I didn't mean to be mean to you. Very
0: rude. (laughs) That was very rude. That was very very rude of me. I'm sorry. So no, for me, tanking is every single person who has an influence of the on field action and the on field results. Is purposely doing things to make the team lose. This includes the players. 76ers players did not purposely lose. The Dolphins players are not going to purposely lose. No professional athlete or every athlete on the team is going to lose on purpose. Now, except players that shave points. And Correct. except
2: for the 76ers.
1: Oh, shut up. So... <laughs> Me and the house are just going to troll you until you admit that we're right.
2: <laughs> but you said it best. It's it's what you think of tanking. I think everyone has their own opinion of what it Correct. is. And, yes, and, and I that's, think that's fine. That's everyone I can think have it's their fun. own
0: opinion and they have their own interpretation of it. But we're I'm going to call it this. It's a strategic rebuild. A strategic. I don't know why. I, uh, drew that out. Strategic. It's, it's not a strategic, nice. It's not it's a very nice. <laughs> rebuild. Okay. The Dolphins, the upper management, along with Coach Brian Flores, despite. Well, let's not get into that yet. Upper management are making decisions, are sacrificing decisions in 2019 for 2020. They're they're even, I was giving it to this way. The Dolphins are interested in players on the market this year, and they're not signing them, but they may sign them next year in 2020. That's because they're purposely not signing players to help the team this year, So, the losses will become organic. I know we've talked about this on the show before. By the construction of the roster, by the moves they make, the Dolphins are going to lose. It's just going to happen. And then, if the new coaching staff gets off to a rocky start, the excuse is built in. Now, obviously, you hope the coaching staff, if they squeak out six to eight wins with a bad roster, let's say they don't draft a quarterback. They get uh, um, you know players in the draft, obviously, who don't contribute right away. If this coaching staff can squeak that out, obviously, yes, they are good coaches. And they are doing the job, and the job is well. But more than likely, they will struggle to get wins. And that's exactly what the upper management of the Dolphins want to do. Now, the coaches are not going to lose on purpose, but they understand the plan here. And they're going to take what they have and they're going to do their absolute best to coach the hell out of these players. And then we'll see what happens from there. So tanking, no. Strategic rebuild, yes.
1: Well, and I think another facet to this is Brian Flores getting a little bit of a longer contract than most head coaches are given. So well, you yeah. like to th- you like to think that between Flores and Greer, who's newly appointed, and Ross, who has new- this new commitment to uh, this kind of futuristic plan, is the fact that because it's not, I'm going to eat your face off if this season doesn't work out so I can try to save my job or try to save my reputation in the league among league circles. So instead of coming in with that type of mentality, we're coming in with like kind of a think tank mentality. And so I'm just kind of interested to see if this different type of decision making environment is going to be a good one or not.
0: Well, yeah. And Steven Ross actually uh, said this as well. Uh, He said that he was tired of coaches coming in thinking they had to win right away and then would spend all this crazy money on free agents. And Ross trusted their plan and he gave them the money. Um, So he, he said, let's give Brian Flores a five-year contract. Let's give him that extra year. Let's give him security and let him understand that this is the way we're going to do things around here. And I think, you know, even just listening to the way Brian Flores talked, and I know there were some talk about him and his jitters with the media and, you know, not you know, saying um a lot and giving a lot of unclear answers and looking uncomfortable at times. I think that all went away at the coach's roundtable breakfast at the owner's meetings earlier this week. He looked very comfortable. He looked confident, sounded confident. And I don't know if it was just the informal setting that he was in or if it's just that he's getting more comfortable with the media. But it, I'm not going to say the Dolphins got this one right because we've said that before and we've all been wrong. But the Dolphins got this one right.
2: Yeah, and you know, we sit here, we mention the tanking and and what fans like to say or what some of the media members are saying, but Brian Flores, he got pretty pissed off when anyone even talked about the possibility of them going out and throwing games. That's not going to happen. We get to see what Ryan Fitzpatrick can do, whether we like it or not. He's going to win some games. He's going to have some special moments, but all of this is fine and dandy. We're very optimistic about the future of the Miami Dolphins, but what it all comes down to is the quarterback position until this team finds a quarterback, it doesn't matter who the coach is, who the general manager is, things are never going to get in the, headed in the right direction until they find their
0: guy. Let's talk about what he said about tanking. He said uh, when people mention the word tanking, it stirs something up inside of him. I like that quote because that means he's a competitor. That means he's going to do everything he can to win. And we've seen it at his time in the New England. And he also said this, and I thought this was pretty cool, too, because we all try to do it, but we all don't act on it. And he said that he's never looking past the current moment that he's in, because doing so would be a disservice to all those in that moment with him. And so when people asked him about, okay, 2020, what's that going to be and tanking and all this, he said he's not even thinking about any of that. And then he said his moment right there when he said this was with the reporters at the media roundtable. And he was in that moment because if he wasn't in that moment, if he was thinking beyond of what he's going to do when he gets back to Miami, what he's going to do next week and the week after and the week after that during that interview and just kind of daydreaming there and random thoughts going through his head, then he'd be doing a disservice to the reporters at the table with him trying to do their jobs. I thought that was pretty cool of him to say that. And I think that shows a lot about his character. And again, I think we all try to practice that, but human nature just kind of, allows us to think into the future and kind of think about this and that, but to have someone disciplined like that, and I'm sure he does follow it because he's saying it and he seems like a disciplined guy to have a coach disciplined like that. I think that speaks a lot of good fortune to what could be coming the Miami dolphins way in the next few years and beyond. Brian floor is also talking about, you know, the quarterback situation also reiterating from Chris Greer that the Dolphins could take one in 2019 and 2020. Also talking about Mink and Fitzpatrick saying that he has an idea of where Mink is going to play, but he's not going to say it just yet. Did say he wanted to move him around a little bit in mini camp and training camp and finally uh, get a roll down for him. He said, Charles Harris is a interesting player and that someone he thinks can move around in space a bit praise TJ McDonald saying he can play a lot of different positions. Said that losing Jawan James hurt in free agency. I think it was Chris Greer who said that. But going back to Flores, it's just nice and refreshing to hear someone talk about the strengths of the players and what they can do well, instead of maybe what they can't do well. We also heard from Greer that Xavier Howard contract talks are progressing well. And hopefully we get a deal before the start of the season because we've seen how the Dolphins prior management, hopefully not this management, like to let their free agents get to the market and then it gets too expensive. If you let your guys get to the market, you're getting into a bidding war. And they're most likely going to leave if you don't want to fight for that. So, so, and your general thoughts on, on the different things that Brian Flores said, especially about guys like Charles Harris, Minkah Fitzpatrick, the future of this team, also said... And praised Kiko Alonso said that he sees him being on the team this year and beyond and paired with Raquan McMillan and uh, Jerome Baker. it looks like that's going to be the linebacker crew for this coming season.
1: You know, I think that's what modern leaders do now is they recognize people's strengths and they put people in position to use those strengths to try to achieve a common goal. So I think, did you mention Jasicki in there? No, I did not. Okay. So I think there were some comments made about Jasicki too, just about, you know, being able to do different things with him. And again, going back to Flores's kind of strength-based approach. So maybe we won't put Mike Jasicki into pass block on 20% of Miami's passing attempts that he was in. Stuff like that. So I'm thinking year one when he comes in here. You know, he's. You know, obviously, there's still going to be uh, more roster purging even going into year two, and just really uh, sifting through everybody. And so, I, I really think year one is about establishing, you know, practice routines and expectations, and uh, leadership by example, and those types of things. Those are what build winning cultures. So. If those early elements are able to kind of come to fruition and then you're able to get the talent spread around with the, uh, the framework of the team and everybody kind of working together, then, you know, things can happen. So uh, I like Flores's approach so far. But again, like you said, we've been duped before. So I, I just want to kind of just sit back and be patient with this.
2: Yeah, and I think this is why a veteran like Ryan Fitzpatrick makes so much sense, because the Dolphins can kind of bring in those young players, see what the the general nucleus of this team is going to be for the future, see what they have in this roster. You got a veteran quarterback that can go out there and win games. So I mean, he can he can make some throws, he can make plays on the, as a quarterback and, and let those receivers have opportunities. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what these young players do. What if they step up and they they take their chance and seize their moment. And next thing you know, you know, some of these guys might be the future Miami Dolphins. You know, they might find their starting edge rusher or cornerback like an Eric Rowe. You know, these are low risk high reward guys that can come in here. They can make a name for themselves and prove that they're going to be around for a, a little bit now. So I love the way Brian Flores is approaching things. I gotta be cautiously optimistic because we've all been hurt before by the Miami Dolphins. But overall, it just seems like, you know, after all these years, it seems so obvious just to to rebuild and just build this thing the right way. And they finally seem to have an understanding of what they're doing.
1: One more point. It just seems like this team is going to value versatility, especially on defense, but really all over the field, being able to do different things and players playing in different roles like that need to practice and have reps at multiple different positions. And the communication has to be pretty spectacular player to player. So again, going back to how our practice is installed, what's the flow of practice? How are they regimented? How organized is everything? How, how are we able to kind of, uh, what's, what's the process of our, our draft development? So we're going to draft and then we need to develop. I want, we want to see those early practice, uh, early practices and different things, being able to get the most squeeze every drop out of these young guys that we're going to be bringing in, because that's going to be the catalyst of the dolphins rising is drafting and developing young talent. Speaking of the draft and how it's speaking of cautious optimism,
0: you never know what's being put out there right now as a smokescreen. You never know what's being truth and not being truth. And we heard the talk about the quarterback in both drafts. We have no idea what the Dolphins are going to do there. We heard the talk about Kiko Alonso staying a linebacker, who, for all we know, the Dolphins could be targeting a linebacker in rounds one or two and shipping Kiko off or releasing him. It's just a lot of information that could be flying out there that we have no idea what's being said to so plant a seed in other people's minds and other teams' minds and what's actually being true. So, take everything with not a grain of salt, but like how said with cautious optimism. And I know he was referring to it in different contexts, but it fits here as well. Just kind of be aware of it. Um, I tweeted out on Wednesday afternoon that you don't really start to see the focus of teams draft plans and targets coming into the clear until about 10 to 14 days before the draft. That's when teams really start narrowing down their targets and the rounds they are selecting in and figuring out their final strategy heading into the draft. So when you hear people right now saying, I know for sure this team's going to go after that guy, and this is their number one guy on their board, more than likely, unless you have the first or second or third pick in the draft, that's all bull, and just kind of take that with a grain of salt. Look at what they're saying, and look at the mock drafts, and look what the experts are hearing, and kind of connecting the dots there, but if someone's saying they've seen the draft board, the draft board is set, it's it's really not fully set yet. Just kind of just watch everything and, and just go along with what you're reading and connect all the dots and use it all to fit the puzzle together. One thing, though, it is coming a little more clear, as I said at the top of the show, was Kyler Murray to Arizona. And Benjamin Albright saying Wednesday night on Twitter, one of the best insiders out there that you can put, Kyler Murray and pencil and move it to pen. because he is going to the Arizona Cardinals. And we all kind of thought this was coming for the past few months and weeks. And now it looks like it is finally happening. And I think it started really coming into focus there when all that smoke around trading for Josh Rosen was billowing out of the chimney report coming out Wednesday afternoon that the giants chargers and Patriots all interested in acquiring Josh Rosen. According to Colin cowherd, Josh Rosen uh, could be going to the Giants for a second-round pick. The Cardinals are hoping for a first-round pick, but that remains to be seen. Makes sense for the Giants. A lot of sense for the Giants. Makes sense for the Chargers, as Phillip Rivers is near the end of his career. Makes a lot of sense for the Patriots, as Brady's at the end of his career, too. And the Patriots, I think, would have no issues sending their number one pick away, as it's number 32. And it would beat the Giants' second-round pick for sure. So, we're going to have to watch that play out, but I think it's a great move for the Cardinals. I think it's a great move for Cliff Kingsbury. Listen, if you're going to hit yourself to a quarterback, you better make sure he's the right one for your system. And if Murray's the right one for your system, you better draft him and flip Rosen for as much as you can in return. And uh, for me, I think Murray's a generational talent. I think he's going to be a fantastic quarterback in the NFL. And I think him and Clint Kingsbury are going to be a match made in heaven. And I'm really excited to watch the Cardinals and what they can do this year with Murray at the helm, If That's in fact the direction they go in. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I will admit, and I will take a big L that I thought this was a smokescreen. I didn't think there's any chance this was going to happen. Uh, I have a ton of respect for Kyler Murray. I think he's a tremendous quarterback. I just, from a business standpoint, after the investment in Rosen to turn around and invest in Kyler and I'm sorry, as good as Kyler is, and he may be able to overcompensate for a, a weak offensive line. Can he mask every deficiency on that team? I just don't know if they can inject talent long enough for him to survive. I, I don't know. Like and that's not a slight his size or anything like that. Don't take that out of context, please. But um, I just I don't know. It doesn't add up to me. I, I think this is a colossally devastating uh, organization decision. If this doesn't paint out for Arizona, this will go down as one of the dumbest things that's ever been done in the NFL. And if that GM gets another job after something like this, trading Rosen away, and then Kyler doesn't work out investing two two first consecutive first rounders on quarterbacks. Uh, I'm obviously a little bit, speechless right now I can't even finish my sentence
2: you know but that's kind of what you got to expect when you brought in Cliff Kingsbury you know he didn't have that type of success at college that you would kind of see from a guy that's making the leap to the to an NFL head coach so when you brought him in you knew what type of offense he was going to run you had to have known this was a possibility Kyler Murray is going to be a glove fit in that offense I think what you got to do is just take a step back and as much as I like Josh Rosen I'm going to get into that in a second but Kyler Murray is a Baker Mayfield type player. I love Baker Mayfield last year. I love Kyler Murray this year. I think both of those players are going to be at the top of the NFL for many, many years to come. But with Josh Rosen, I mean, the Cardinals should be able to get a second-round pick. The Chargers have reportedly already offered one. The Giants most likely will. But we talked about those teams interested. Why not the Miami Dolphins? This team needs a quarterback. They haven't hit a one since freaking Dan Marino. Why not give up a second-round pick if that is the price tag? To go out there and get Josh Rosen, bring him to the AFC East, you know, let him sit behind Ryan Fitzpatrick for half a year, see what he can do. You know, worst case scenario, you're drafting a quarterback next year. You got a quarterback competition. Maybe you have two good quarterbacks. It turns into a San Diego situation with Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers. It, it's worth the risk, in my opinion. So I have no clue why the Dolphins. You know, maybe they did reach out to him. Maybe they don't like the way his personality is, or whatever it may be but they need to do their due diligence on that because Josh Rosen is a hell of a quarterback and he's available if all reports are accurate.
1: The the one other thing I don't understand about the Kyler Murray situation is Cliff Kingsbury doesn't have any experience working with that type of quarterback. He was the coach at Texas tech where they basically throw it 65 times a game. And yeah, Kyler Murray has a great arm, but I don't know how he went into that interview and sold him on the fact that he has a scheme that would get the most out of that type of player when he's never ran that type of scheme before. So it's all very perplexing. And, you know, maybe some of these confounding decisions end up being some of the, the profitable ones. So uh, who knows? But I, it, this, it's, it's the ultimate boom or bust decision.
0: For what it's worth, I've been told there's very minimal chance the Dolphins do trade for Josh Rosen. But there was also minimal chance the Raiders traded for Antonio Brown. So things can change. It's something to monitor. Houts, I'm with you. And one trade idea that was floated to me by someone in the know, not that the Dolphins are thinking about this per se, but you know, just one man's opinion, was that, uh trade 13 for Rosen and then ask for the Cardinals' second-round pick in return, kind of swap it there or whatever. And, uh, you know, pick at 33. No, no swap second round picks. I'm sorry. But ask for their second round pick. So you're trading your one for Rosen. The Cardinals get one and 13. They give up their two. The Dolphins pick up a two and basically pick 33. And I think it would be like 43 or 45 or 46, something around there. I'm terrible at math. But, yeah, they'd have two picks in the second, 40, early 48, second round. 48. Whatever. You know what I mean. Something. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Joe Marino of the Draft Network said that he has Murray – not Murray. uh, Rosen is his number one quarterback in this year's draft, if he was in the draft, uh, hypothetically speaking. I'm with you, Houts. I mean, you get a quarterback who has the NFL experience from year one, can really accelerate your rebuild plan, can even learn behind Fitzpatrick a bit, learn the system, get going, and and I think it's a no-brainer, but for whatever reason – it seems like the Dolphins are not interested at him, at least at this time. We'll see though; things can change. Who knows? It would suck if the Patriots traded for him though.
2: It would Screw make me the sick. Patriots. It would make me sick.
1: They don't make every perfect decision out there. You saw an upset sign.
2: Brian Flores might.
1: Yeah, that Kyler Murray thing just got me all fired up. I I just. Sutton hates so the they, football. They, they trade up the year yards they, in a cloud of dirt. <laughs> they, they trade up the year before to get the dude, and then turn around and maybe get. Even if you take the hypothetical trade that you made with us, getting thirteen back but having to sacrifice a second rounder, so that's just shitty business, in my opinion. Pardon my French there.
2: I mean, I understand that. I think the general manager realized he had to, you know, throw a Hail Mary. That was the guy that the coach wanted. I don't know, man. Is, it, it, is it Kyler perfect.
1: Murray a once-in-a-generation talent? Yes. If yeah. the answer is yes, then you make that move. If I the agree. answer is no, – I've been wrong before, yeah. but I, I think he is. I mean, I, I think he's really good. I just don't know about the once-in-a-generation aspect of it but anyway all right. Anyway, I, feel, the Dolphins I feel better now keep, thanks for letting me Dolphin,
0: talk it through, let's guys. get off of that if the Dolphins do keep their 13th pick I'm just going to throw this in here if uh, the following players are on the board look for the Dolphins to make a selection here Brian Burns that's one he is a edge rusher defensive end played at FSU Another one, Sean Gary, Montez Sweat, Sean Gary, defensive tackle, by the way, play all over the line, Montez Sweat, he is defensive end for Mississippi State, and Ed Oliver, defensive tackle at Houston, but he might be able to play linebacker and move all over the place as well. So if any of those four guys are on the board at 13, look for the Dolphins to really think hard about pulling the trigger there instead of trading down, which I think there is there is uh that's their primary plan heading into the draft. Houts, I know you love Burns, I know you love Gary, I know you love all these guys and so do I. I think any of them would be great for the Dolphins. Houts loves like a lot of guys.
2: Yeah,
1: big you, fan of your work.
2: The more the more guys that you love <laughs> The, the more guys that are loved.
1: <laughs> got a lot of, love a lot of guys during the
2: draft. No, really, we'll Ed Oliver, I, I don't see any world in which he's going to fall to the Dolphins at 13. I think he's probably the most versatile defensive end that you're mentioning. Me personally, Brian Burns, he's been at the top of my list since I watched Akai Polite, and then he got kicked out of the, the combine and got hurt today, I think, or I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. He's, he's going to fall a little bit, but Brian Burns is probably that number two guy for me. And then Rashawn Gary. Those are the three edge rushers. The Dolphins desperately need a pass rusher. And I think those guys can fit the scheme.
1: I'd go Ed Oliver. Got a chance to hear him talk at the NFL combine. Also got to hear from Brian Burns and Jock Eye Polite and uh, Montez Sweat. I would probably go if we're ranking those four guys with fits with Miami. I would go Oliver. Sweat, Burns, Gary.
0: I'm not ready to rank mine yet, but I'd be ecstatic with any of those guys. So we'll see how that all plays out. Another thing that we're going to see how it plays out is this year is the defensive offensive pass interference rule that just passed at the NFL owners meeting. Thanks to the coaches who voted for a 32 to zero and really pushed the owners to pass it. And they did. And also, the no-call of these pass interferences will also be uh, challenged as well. Nothing's really changing in terms of the challenges. The coaches will still have their two challenges, and all the current rules will stay in place, and they can't challenge under two minutes at the end of each half. But it's going to add another element and another decision that coaches will have to make and take into consideration when challenging calls throughout the game. I think it's a great move. I know people are complaining. People are saying the length of the game is going to be longer. Get out of here. It's not going to be longer because – They're still only allowed the same amount of challenges, and and I think it's just a progressive step in the right direction. I would have loved to see roughing the Passer included in there. We've seen some bogus calls off of that, but I think one step at a time is good progress for the NFL in a world that seems like they can be stuck in sometimes and not really open to progress. Jason Lock on four in his notebook on CBS sports said that he believes and general managers believe and owners believe that this is just the first step to making every single play reviewable. Probably the same system of challenges will be in place for that. But as Bill Belichick had proposed in the past, he just said, make it easy. Make every play reviewable, make every penalty reviewable, but you have your limited choices and you have to make the right decision at the right time. I think it's a great move. I think it's going to pay a lot of good dev dividends. We should have seen the Saints in the Super Bowl. And I think if we did, the Saints would have uh, beaten the Patriots because the Rams should have beaten the Patriots because the no call on Brandon Cooks at the end of, I think, one of the halves or was or somewhere during a game wasn't called. NFL Competition Committee admitting that it should have been called. The Rams would have had the ball on the one-yard line and who knows what would have happened from there. That was in the
1: fourth quarter, I believe.
0: Yeah, they would have had a really good chance to pull away there. Um, We've seen a lot of bad NFL officiating this past season, so let's hope that these things fix a few of the calls here. Your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I don't think you would see something like this in college football just because – pass interference is only 15 yards in the NFL. It's one of the more devastating plays that can happen and you don't even have to complete the pass. My concern with all of this, so I, I generally think that it's a good uh, system and I think it's definitely worth seeing how it goes this first year. My concern would be watching these plays in slow-mo affects how you judge the play that you see in real time. So in other words, so I played college basketball. So if I'm trying to uh, get free to get off of a screen to come out and shoot a three pointer, I'm going to push off a little bit. And if you were to go slow-mo for a play like that and watch me kind of push off, it happens very quick in real time. But if you watch it in slow-mo they would probably call an offensive foul on me for pushing off, even though that's kind of the unwritten rule of basketball, how you are able to create separation in in spots. So that would be my concern is if you're looking at these plays in slow-mo, is everything going to kind of look like interference?
2: I think it absolutely will. And I think that was my biggest gripe when I first heard about it is, you know, every single play in the NFL, you could probably call – one form or another of offensive pass interference or defensive pass interference so it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out but you got to remember they still have the same amount of challenges and when I first heard about it I was like this is going to take forever but the team still have the same amount of challenges you know if you get two right you get a third so we'll see how it works in year one and they'll go from there but who's to stop a team from you know as soon as the two-minute warning hits to not just throwing up a Hail Mary and just praying that you know what what are the odds if you're throwing up a Hail Mary that there's going to be defensive pass interference I bet it's better than 50 percent so why not just go out there and just heave up a Hail Mary and hope that there's a a pass interference call to end up reviewing it it's it's gonna be interesting to see how everything just plays out
0: the Hail Mary is the one thing that we're gonna have to watch because we know it happens on every Hail Mary pass interference does and so the NFL I hope will just turn a blind eye to that and just kind of being an unwritten ruler, unspoken rule that they're not going to look at that and they're not going to challenge that from the top of the booth. But all it takes is one coach to freak out and say, You cost us that game because you didn't call that pass interference on that Hail Mary. Who knows? We'll see. We want to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, interact with us on Twitter. Twitter handles at Kanata NFL at Houts and at Sutton Laces Out. We'd love to hear from you about what you think about the new rule change, about what Brian Flores said, about what Chris Greer said, what Stephen Ross said. Do it in the comments section as well on the FinCider.com. We're going to be going into full draft mode. The NFL draft is less than a month away. Over the next several weeks until we lead up to the draft, you'll be hearing all drafts all day on FinSider Radio. And that's just the way it's going to be for the next uh, four weeks or so. As we get closer to the draft, make sure you stay tuned because we will have the inside scoop on what the Dolphins are trying to do. I'm starting to hear a little few things here and there. I'm starting to piece everything together. And I should have a full picture no later than the week of the draft itself. I've been right on the uh, past few years in terms of their targets in the first round and beyond. I think I actually nailed pretty much every round last year in terms of the positions they were looking for. And it all went out according to plan and from what I was told. So please stay tuned. We will have the information here on FinSider Radio. Any last thoughts, and Sutton?
1: I was at the March Madness Tournament, and if anybody has the chance to go, if you like basketball and even the slightest, I highly recommend going to the tournament. It's amazing.
2: I just want to say it's smoke and mirror season. Like we said before, don't believe everything that you hear, but – I mean, we're um, a little bit around, what, a month away from the NFL draft. Exciting times are coming. You know, we thought this was the offseason of the NFL, and it just seemed to be nonstop. It seems like there's no rest, so just enjoy it because, I mean, NFL draft's right around the corner.
0: Again, stay with us here on FinCider Radio. Over the next several weeks leading up to the draft, we will have the absolute latest for you. That's going to do it for us here this week on FinSider Radio for Joshua and Aaron Sutton, I am Matt Canada. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. That was FinSider Radio, part of the FinSider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the dolphins, the
3: greatest football team. We've taken